much pop a culture podcast we skipped a week in recording but i did not want to leave you lonely so i've put together this very special clip show not clips of the episodes you've heard but clips of the after shows that we record every week which are super fun but only our supporters get to hear them so you're gonna hear about 20 minutes of just little bits i pulled from our supporter audio from episodes 40 to 56 And yeah, I could introduce each clip, but I think I find the dizzying non-sequiturs kind of fun. So I hope you do too. Hope you're having a great week. I wonder oftentimes about escapism. Escapism is what I have craved so often during this pandemic. And as a podcast, we go back and forth between are we going to be some sort of escapism or are we going to be, are we going to delve into some issues about philosophy and morality? So I just wonder what what are the moral implications of escapism during a time that really requires our being available and present to bear witness to the situation and to change a situation as not just for COVID, but for Black Lives Matter. And like people get tired and they want escapism. And I think you need both. But sometimes I feel morally shitty, (laughs) right, to escape from it. I feel like there needs to be balance in our lives. And I think without being able to exhale or have downtime in all aspects of our life, we would just, it would just be too much to be kind of always on and always focused at the same time. And I think if you're feeling you, Erica, or anyone is feeling guilty about their downtime, maybe that's some part of you saying that your balance is maybe a little off and that you should be paying more attention, or maybe it's time to stop fucking around and start getting focused on things that are important. And that's kind of the personal life answer to that. From the podcasting perspective, I'm really comfortable with wherever we land. And I feel like we do get into serious and topical and important and moral questions on this show. And it's fine for us to do that. And and if we feel like that's where things are going, great. And if we feel like we are ready to just talk about summer movies, that that's probably okay, too. Mark? One of my uh, my little ongoing things I'm exploring hypotheses with this podcast is, is there really a difference between these high and low entertainments? And so that applies very much here. And, you know, on the one hand today, we're talking about art in children's books, but isn't that also very serious, you know, in how we educate kids and make them feel included in society and things like that. So I think almost anything you could take both ways. And I think we've been doing a pretty good job in taking even silly things. You know, that's kind of the the irony of some of this is, you know, like our uh, sexual assault portrayals thing. Like that's a serious issue, but it's in like a junky style of TV. And we just had basically the same thing with fine art in reality TV. And I just think that's the world we're in where there really is no room for pretentious exclusion of some particular topics that I will fully admit that the way that I like reading hardcore philosophy is not that different than the way that Brian likes reading science fiction and the way some other people like reading romance novels. That would be me on the romance novels also. (laughs) (laughs) I have a thing about movies with Nazis and it's a Jewish thing, but it's a, it's a having done Holocaust studies and it's a Jewish thing. Like, I don't like revisionist history and I don't like, so like Tarantino's thing is about alternative histories, right? The revenge fantasies. And I, I don't care for that. 
And I'll watch a real World War II movie and I'll watch a documentary. I struggle with dramas that have Nazis in them. But um, I'm really struggling right now with Jojo Rabbit. So if any of you have seen Jojo Rabbit and would want to, or if you were to watch that and then have a conversation about whether you're allowed to like something, (laughs) it's getting a lot of great buzz. That's a very interesting topic. I think we could definitely do revisionist history as a topic. We mentioned Jojo Rabbit in our Oscars podcast. And I'm in the same tribe, but the in another tent, Seth, because <laughs> I'm a, a Jew who really, really digs these revisionist fantasies. Although not universally in that Hunter show on Amazon, I found irritating, but I think because I didn't like the style more than I didn't like the story. Oh, I liked it. I really liked the style. And Mark and I saw Inglorious Bastards together and the theater. Um, I, I watch it every couple of years and I absolutely love it. So I think there is something, something to that. I mean, I love all the Jewish superheroes, starting with Kal-El and wherever you go from there. When were you going to get the Captain America punching Hitler movie? I guess they, they brought that up in the Captain America origin movie. They had him doing it on stage, but like that was actually part of the comic that <laughs> he got to. Have we had other superheroes that get to go back in time and beat up Hitler or, you know, the equivalent? Donald Duck might at some point. I think during those World War II shorts oh, yeah. that Warner Brothers did, I think he, or Bugs might have. Those things are amazing. I yeah, wish they, they are. Would, I wish they would release those again with the, with the warning, this is of a different era. <laughs> <laughs> Erica and Mark, we need to talk about stuff we disagree about more. That was no good at all. We disagreed on comedy. Well, and I should have maybe pushed a little harder on the fact that the comedy makes it hard for me to appreciate the other elements. Laughter is such a disruptive element <laughs> wow. that it's, it, it's hard to put in, like, how does that actually relate to the rest of the story? I think this is a good other topic we could explore. That feels point. like a lot to unpack, Mark. So either, like, I remember watching a film like Life of Brian that is, you know, these just laugh a minute comedies that exhaust you by an hour in and then like it's so that there, I think there's a real gift in pacing a good comedy so that you don't feel like that. Life of Brian is just one of my favorite movies ever, but yet as an experience, like it falls short because by the last 20 minutes, you're like, uh, <laughs> there are quite a few others that I would put in even Austin powers. I remember having that feeling when I saw the first one that it was anyway, or there's, there's Will Ferrell ones that are definitely guilty of the same thing, but something like elf or something is so nicely paced that it, you know, mixes in the dramatic moments or, you know, whatever musical moments, <laughs> things that just give you a chance to breathe and recoup. And so expecting in a laugh a minute, 22 minute thing, I'm not satisfied. And maybe this is not have anything to do with their failings, but just that it's limitations of the medium that you can really make someone appreciate a family drama kind of thing. And also try to make them laugh with humor of various levels constantly. I think that it's crazy, Mark. Crazy. Unbelievable. But I'll say no more. You're in New York, right, Erica? Yeah. Do you know Andy Golub, his work? No, but I'm looking it up right now. And it's He's uh, an amazing character. And he sort of referenced a very obscure law that exists in New York City that was created in the 70s for the musical Hair. So they did a production of Hair in Central Park. And there's nudity at the final scene of that show. 
And so in order to protect the actors from being arrested, they made an ordinance, a city ordinance that is still on the books, that says you are allowed to be naked in New York City if it is for the purpose of art or theater. Ooh. (laughs) So he ran with that law and challenged it and started painting naked people of all colors, shapes, and sizes out in public on the streets of New York and the sidewalks of New York, always in a public space. You know, he knew his rights and he knew the law and he was arrested multiple times. And what was more upsetting to him was that his models were arrested, especially I believe there was a young female woman of color that he was painting that was arrested. And the way they treated her, she said, can I get my clothes back on? They refused. They put her in a cop car handcuffed oh. naked. Like, And once that happened, he became so enraged that the ACLU got involved and sued the city. And he won. She was issued an apology. I believe she was given a civil uh, suit. I think they were both awarded some money and he gave it all to her. It was like 10 grand or something like that. And then to celebrate, He went on to the steps of New York City Hall, I believe, a public building like that, and he painted a naked model the day (laughs) that he won his court case. I think it was like on the steps of the courthouse where he won, he painted a naked model. So he's a real interesting guy. He's a real activist, and he has New York City Body Painting Day, which now is an annual event that paints naked people. I've been to a couple of them. They're really fun. He rents a couple double-decker buses. There's artists and naked painted people on the bus, and just the response that we get from the citizens of New York, I would say there's 20 joyous faces of families, parents, kids, you know, just joyfully waving and smiling for every like one grumpy Gus that's like scowling <laughs> at us. I read actually those first two issues of the ta Code's Captain America. My husband was so excited. He's like, you want to what? Read a comic right now? And I was like, yeah. And then we finished the first one. I was like, can we keep going? So I think we're going to keep reading that. So thank you for that, Rack. I teach a whole class about comic books as satire, comics and anime, about results in satirical commentary. Sweet. How cool. Whose idea was it to make me watch that movie? Well, originally we had talked about comparing 1776 and Hamilton. So I apologize that you got that from me. I actually hadn't seen the whole of it. I've seen several clips. I was in for a version, an all-female version of 1776 a few months ago. So I was watching some of it. But when it comes to most movie musicals, I am just not a fan at all. So I just have a different expectation. I'm watching it with eyes to learn something and to like learn a role or understand what my part would be. So I apologize that you were trying to watch it for entertainment. (laughs) Well, you know, to cleanse the palate, I ended up watching some uh, Schoolhouse Rock, some more education about our founding fathers from the 1970s. And I think things are going to work out really well for those white Christians. I think (laughs) the Indians seem pretty happy and there are no black people. Though somehow the Supreme Court has a woman on it in the cartoon version in the 70s, which actually hadn't happened yet. So that was pretty cool. But I'll give them points for that one. One thing I'll say about 1776 is that it does kind of whitewash over the history of these guys too. And it is a sort of 70s musical theater version of, oh, these guys are good guys. So, you know, it's even a little bit more leave it to Bieber than Hamilton is. But one thing at the end, and I'm forgetting the character's name. He's the the representative from South Carolina is like the villain of the of the show where just, John just Adams say is, Lindsey is, Graham. Just say, I know. That. Lindsey Graham. So Lindsey Graham <laughs> is uh, the villain of the show. And John Adams is, is trying to end slavery and South Carolina 
Lindsey Graham is saying, no, we need slavery. And at the end, he sings his big villains number, which is, uh, what is it, molasses to rum or rum to molasses, in which he basically calls out the hypocrisy of the entire country and says, well, yeah, we have slaves in the South and they cut the sugar cane and that sugar cane becomes your molasses. It becomes your rum. And we ship it up north. You're not complaining when you get the molasses. You're not complaining when you get the rum. You're just complaining that we own people and you benefit from it too. It is probably, I think, the most political moment in the show where he's in this time of, you know, it, it comes out, you know, 1776. It comes out in the 1970s. And what's going on at that time in history is the Civil Rights Act. We're getting into the desegregation of schools and it's calling out the hypocrisy of the North and saying, you can rail all you want about how racist Mississippi is, but you still have liberal Upper West Siders in New York City trying to keep your schools segregated in 2019. And for you to just say, oh, the South is, is the racist one. No, I lived in Boston. I know what racism looks like. In Boston, it's segregated. The white people are segregated. If you're Irish, you live South. If you're Italian, you live North. If you're Jewish, you live East. If you're black, you live west or vice versa. And, and everybody goes into the center of the city to work their jobs. And then they, they go out to their segregated neighborhoods after that. That is right now in this very moment. And for people not to call out that hypocrisy is for us to be complicit in that system. Bill Murray becomes a gaslighting rapist when taken in view of what he's doing to that poor woman at the bar. I really thought that was a smart episode. Finally getting to see the Groundhog Day viewpoint from someone who was being Groundhog Day. It was, uh, I thought, I, I thought I love that as a someone stuck in a time loop couldn't be done again. And well, it's improved me wrong, which was great. I like that as a verb, Brian. <laughs> Are you Groundhog Daying me? <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I just have, I didn't love hearing the word fuck used all the time in Star Trek. For whatever reason, I, in my mind, it's still PG 13. Maybe you get one, but it was just seemed very, unnecessarily R-rated in that way to me. Hmm. Didn't need it. They did that in, oh no, they had the the fake swearing in uh, Firefly, right? So it was Apparently like... Apparently some of the Chinese is not so fake, but uh-huh. <laughs> in English, I guess it's all pretty tame. There's um, fake cussing too in, uh, in Star Trek as well, like Batak is a Klingon curse word that doesn't get universally translated for some reason. But that was like a a way to kind of get around any sort of censorship. Nothing's going to beat Battlestar Galactica, though. Am I right? Sure. Yeah, because people lends verisimilitude to me if people can swear in whatever form. Like, they could be fake swears, but, like, they have to be able to express it. And it was only because Star Trek, most of the time, they're very military and controlled. And so very seldom are you going to just catch them off guard such that you just... The aliens are like, and then you will be assimilated. Well, fuck you, Borg. No, I don't think so. Fuck you. Like, maybe Jordy should have done that at some point, but I don't. I don't know. Not most of the characters. <laughs> now we can do our, uh, our what we thought the funniest Me Too joke was. So you both watched Veep, right? The not me yeah. movement. People, women stepping forward to say that they had not had sex with Jonah. I thought that was actually pretty smart. <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> that was great. really good. I was reminded by your comment, Erica, about this being kind of lazy storytelling about to give a character depth. Daniel Handler, who is the real name of Lemony Snicket, he wrote a short story where he he made every character 
have someone who had a dead child. Oh God! Every character, and I think one of the, one of them was like a child character, but there was some sort of way of shoehorning that there is a. I don't even remember how it was done, but you know that was his way of saying. Yes, writers are lazy because they give a character a dead child as a, as a shorthand way of making them deep. Shenanigans. Wait, it is hard, right? Isn't it hard to like, in a consumable format, to, to give depth? It can be difficult. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling with yeah. the same thing right now. I'm just like, I'm even writing like a version of myself and I'm trying to talk about struggle. And it's difficult. Like, <laughs> I've had struggles. Of course I have like everybody, but I've not had like one moment where I feel like that could define me. And that's so often, I think what writers do is they find like one moment that define. like Bruce Wayne is defined by, you know, his, his parents being, being killed, for example. And he's a comic book character. I mean, you don't want to confuse depth and texture, right? And they're different kinds of the same thing. And everyone has their own biggest tragedy. It's their deepest thing. It may not be that deep on the macro scale, but for them, it is. And so, and it kind of depends if you're kind of in the person's head or not in the person's head. Yeah, for a comic book, it's easy to, thought bubbles notwithstanding, it's a pretty external thing. Whereas in some novels, you really are very deep inside a person's head and their minor tragedies are pretty major to them. And that can really be enough. And a lot of it is just about the artistic skill of the person telling that story and how well they can do it and convince you of it. Brian, I thought at least in Christopher Nolan's Batman, his defining moment was when he's a kid and he's like, what, in a well and there's like a bunch of bats and they scare the shit out of him. That was set up in there. So at least that's something that the audience doesn't know in advance that's going to happen. That is, you know, that's why he's Batman as opposed to just angry guy whose parents got killed. Well, he's just he has a quality of being fearful. And that was the thing. It was how it was illustrated. But he was his overcoming fear, that journey of conquering that character trait and maybe not even overcoming it right i mean for all we know he's just constantly fighting through it all the time and he is as batman is still a very fearful person but that's not how he behaves because that's i thought you were gonna say that he still has a weakness of bats that that would be super ironic if any villain (laughs) could just throw bats at him and he would freak out and run away bat averse man that's the full full name of this superhero We had planned on a Ricky Gervais episode. Things were busy. I didn't want to watch a bunch of stuff. But then I was up fairly late at night and was like, we should just read a sitcom. We've talked about, like, let's get a Brady Bunch episode or something like that. Or maybe a a canceled, uh, a pilot that didn't get picked up. Or maybe a show that never got made. Maybe we could, in fact, um, well, I should do this on the public show. I should throw out a net to try to get scripts so we could do, I think this show should have some of us reading things. That would be funny. But then I thought like, well, instead of finding one of these, I should just write one. And I should write it right now and it should be terrible. And we should read that and pretend it was something that was made, you know, in 1983 uh, for CBS, but didn't get picked up. That's a lot of commitment. That's a new level of commitment to your podcasting skills. Well, I did not actually write that. I just merely thought of some ideas. And then it turned into, we should just all think of weird sitcom ideas and trade those. And that should be the whole episode. (laughs) So what we got was a much more reasonable compromise, but I did have some leftover ideas. See what you think of these. Cop and Beauty, where a straight-laced detective falls in love with the carefree burglar he busts and decides to marry her and let her escape justice, but she just can't give up her criminal ways. That is basically the premise of a musical. Really? Called Bells Are Ringing. Yeah. I did choose these to be similar to things that 
I think would actually be picked up, but yeah, I'm no, yeah, I, I think I don't know that she doesn't give it up, or I, I can't. I've never seen the show, but I've read the synopsis many times, and definitely, like, yeah, they fall in love. It sounds like a good film, or you know, but like as a sitcom, as a we have to keep doing this week after week. It does not seem very tenable. Like I could see it as a drama of somebody wanting to return to their life of crime and doing spy-like things, alias-like things around their clueless detective husband. That would get into Breaking Bad territory. I think I just gave you the wrong name of a musical. I'm pretty sure I did. I'm trying to look it up now, but just to know, I'll find it. But it is definitely the name. I don't think Bell's Ring is it, but... uh... Identical twins Barry and Claude, who were raised apart so that Claude sounds foreign... So it'd be the same actor doing a foreign accent and a regular and an American accent. Marry identical twins, Mara and Maria, who were also raised apart in similar circumstances. Due to a mix up at the artificial insemination lab, each woman has the wrong man's baby and they all decide to live together. So that was the more elaborate version of the, oh my goodness. <laughs> the first one that I pitched to you. Okay, I found it. Just in case we want to put this in here, Drat the Cat is the name of that musical. Drat the Cat. Is there any cat in it? Or it's a cat it's burglar. It's a cat burglar. Um, four car thieves become life coaches and live together? Is that a real? <laughs> that's funny. I like that they become life coaches. I wonder if that's going to be a profession that's around for much longer. <laughs> My brother told me in Missouri, he's like, there are all these 20-something-year-old girls who are becoming life coaches. I don't want to read the other ones. But I they... came up with a couple that are like just, the problem is they're too crazy to be made into TV shows. So I didn't want to do them. Did I have... Tell me. Army doctors get into hijinks while patching up soldiers during the Korean War. So that's kind of crazy. Oh my and God. I also have an alien <laughs> travels to Earth in an egg and lives platonically with his female friend in Colorado. So, I mean, I couldn't hope. Those are the best two, but you'd never see those made into TV shows. <laughs> Stupid. Just batshit crazy ideas. Well, shit, if we're playing, what are we going to dress, Mark? What I would do, <laughs> pajama bottoms combat boots in a Christmas sweater. But that would mean changing out of what you have on now. <laughs> Different Christmas sweater. I know and that you're, you've got one eye on one book and another eye on an article. <laughs> you're listening to a podcast in one ear, paying attention to the TV with the other. That's how you get through every week. And I remember none of it. <laughs> All right, Dems are the clips. You can hear the full After Talk episodes for nearly every episode we have recorded since the beginning at patreon.com slash prettymuchpop. If you enjoy the podcast, you should put in a couple pennies. Come on. (laughs) Thanks and come back next week for our real episode on the entire filmography of David Lynch. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive set of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.